you're listening to sermons from Grace Bible Church in Eufaula, Oklahoma. We're a church on mission to glorify God by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. Learn more at gbcufaula.com. Open your Bibles to John 16, verse 33. <clears throat> John, not 1 John, we've been in 1 John, we're going to the gospel of John. Chapter 16, verse 33 for today. This is the word of God. Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray again. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this season that we are in, Lord, a season in which the world they dedicate to a time that we call Christmas. But, Father, this in this season we... Look to your advent, your coming. We remember your coming as a as the one who would come and take away the sins of those who would believe. And in this season, we are reminded of your coming back for us again. I pray, Father, that as your word goes forth this day, that we would be Reminded of the peace that we have in you, O God. If anyone does not know you, Lord, I pray that you would make known the revelation of Jesus Christ to them. And I pray that you would sanctify us in your word, that we would be reminded of the gospel once again and renewed by it through your word. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. So I read this article from uh, the UN, that's the United Nations website. It's uh, from September 13th, 2023, titled, UN Chief Issues Clarion Call for Peace, Marking an International Day of Peace. The article on the UN website says, Peace is a call for action. Ahead of annual gathering of world leaders, peace activists join Guterres' call for lasting peace in a fractured world. As the United Nations prepares for its annual gathering of world leaders next week, peace advocates and activists mark the International Day for Peace, joining Secretary General Antonio Guterres' call to build, drive, and sustain peace for all across an increasingly polarized world. As we mark this International Day of Peace, people and our planet are in crisis, said the Secretary General in his message for the day drawing attention to the unprecedented impact of the complex crises facing humanity from conflicts, displacement, climate change, human rights, atrocities, and inequalities. It says today a record number of people need humanitarian aid, mostly due to conflicts and other emergencies. In 2022, there was a more than 50% increase in conflict-related civilian deaths, largely due to the war in Ukraine. Basically, one quarter of humanity lives in conflict and affected areas, and many more people suffer from poverty, hunger, injustice, and inequalities. Peace is not only a noble vision for humanity, peace is a call for action, stressed Guterres, who, together with the president of the General Assembly, Dennis Francis, led the traditional peace bell ceremony and a minute of silence at the UN's Japanese Garden to mark the International Day. The two-day observance continues on the 14th of September with an event focused on mobilizing young people to take action for the Sustainable Development Goals, a set of 17 benchmarks adopted in 2015 to address some of the most pertinent issues of our time, such as poverty, injustice, and environmental degradation to end human suffering and improve people's lives. It's not going to work. Right? The world's view of peace is a problem. There is no peace in the world. 
right? Um, there has never been peace in the world <laughs> since the very beginning. There was a time when man and woman, the only man and the only woman, had peace with God and peace with one another, peace with creation. And because of their sin, all humanity was plunged into sin and peace was hard to come by. In fact, after humanity plunged into sin, the first story we read about is a story where there is lack of peace. Peace between God and man, man and God. And lack of peace between man and man as Cain murders his brother out of jealousy and envy because God was approved of Abel's sacrifice, but not of Cain's. You can't bring about peace in the earth by any means as long as human beings are involved because, well, the human heart is desperately sick and wicked and who can understand it, right? It's interesting in this article that he mentions after talking about this peace and this drive for peace and how we need peace and how we're getting young people involved for the drive for peace, he mentions the Sustainable Development Goals, which is a plan by the World Economic Forum and the UN to basically gain power and control. It's, it's funny, if you read Psalm 2, it talks about how the nations plot a vain thing, right? How the kings of the earth plot a vain thing and the Lord holds them in derision. Right? The world knows not what peace is. Right? Peace cannot be found in the world. Peace cannot be mustered up. You cannot create peace because we're human beings with sinful flesh. There is no peace in the world. Right? With that, as Pastor James mentioned last week, we are entering into what we call the Advent season. Right? We do this every year, right? There are many people uh, around the world, as I prayed, that, that celebrate Christmas, right? That, that, and it's traditionally always been recognized as a time that we recognize Christ coming to the earth, born in a manger, right? This time of Christ's birth. And we know that nobody knows the actual birth date of Jesus. It's celebrated that day. I do believe that began as a, it was the winter solstice where they worshiped the sun God and a priest around the 300s. His people from his parish were out celebrating with the pagans and he was like, they can't have this. And so they created a day where they would recognize the birth of Christ. And so that's where it began, right? Uh, and then as we learned last year in Sunday school from Adam, right, that St. Nicholas actually was a saint. He was an awesome man. He was a faithful man. He sat on the council of Nicaea and fought for the Trinity, fought for the truth of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? Uh, being, being one, yeah, right, but distinct. He fought for that at the council of Nicaea and was... Uh, uh, lost the word of trip, but had went through much tribulation because of his faithfulness. Right. But in this season, uh, Advent means coming. OK, Advent means coming. And what we're what we're doing is going through four, maybe five weeks. I'm not sure. Several weeks of looking at specifically Christ coming and what that means for us. Christ first coming and for Christ second coming. Uh, the title for today is peace through the advent of Jesus, right? Jesus' coming brings peace, right? Nothing the world can offer, nothing the world can do, nothing the UN can try to muster up will bring peace. Peace is only found in Christ and Christ alone. It's the only place there's peace, right? And why peace? Because it's the greatest issue of humanity is peace with God. It's the greatest issue. There is no greater issue in your life than peace between you and the God of all creation. The creator, he who sustains all, 
He who upholds all things by the word of his power. We need peace with God, right? So, the word peace in the Hebrew is shalom. We hear that a lot, right? Shalom, peace. Hebrews today, Jews today still greet one another. Shalom, peace, right? And it, and it comes into the New, Test, New Testament uh, in, in, with the Greek word irene, which means practically the same thing, right? It's, it's the word for peace that we see in the text before us today and throughout the New Testament. And it means a state of tranquility or harmony on one side of the coin. Uh, the, the, the meaning has two sides to the coin. Uh, a state of tranquility, right? That's not a word we use much, but it is a calmness, right? It, it, is, it is a calmness. Uh, we've been reading about Jonah in, in Sunday school. What happened when they tossed Jonah off the boat? The sea went from raging to tranquil, calm, right? Uh, when, when Jesus' disciples were in the boat and Jesus was asleep in the back of the boat and they're crossing the sea and this giant storm begins to rage and, and the disciples are fearing for their life and they wake Jesus and he makes the sea become tranquil, calm. The storm ceases. The waters become tranquil, right? So peace is the state of tranquility or harmony, or union, okay? On the other side of the coin, peace is exemption from rage and havoc of war. So not only is it in the positive, is it a state of tranquility and harmony, it is also exemption from the rage that comes from war, the wrath that comes from war, the havoc that comes from war. So that is what peace is in the context here, right? And so today we see peace through the advent of Jesus, right? I want to look at this in three ways. First, the promise of peace. Second, the fulfillment of peace. And third, the completion of peace. So let's, let's look first at the promise of peace. We're just in this one verse. And I want to just isolate here. Jesus, he says, I have said these things to you. Let's pause there. I have said these things to you. If you have never read John 13, just read the whole gospel over and over again. But chapter 13 through 17 are a special, special place in the scriptures. Right. There are several. There are several. There are a lot of differences between John's gospel account and Matthew, Mark and Luke. Right. Uh, the, the, some of the gospels go to show the genealogy of Jesus. John just shoots straight to the beginning. He's the genealogy of God. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Right. Uh, John is evangelistic in nature. It's his purpose in writing the gospel account is to evangelize to you, to show you that he's the son of God and you must believe. But what's really special is this period of time from John 13 through John 17. John 17 is Jesus' prayer. If you ever wondered, is Jesus praying for me? The answer is yes, and you can read it for yourself in John 17. But this is a special time. Jesus is alone in an upper room in the hours before his death, before he would go to the cross. And John gives a large account of the time spent alone with Jesus and his disciples in the last moments before he knew he was going to a cross. And it's a special time, right? Jesus would bend down and wash their feet, showing that he come as a servant, right? Jesus would, would be, begin to tell them about how he is the way, the truth, and the life, and expound from there, and upon the plan that he has for them, the fact that he's going to prepare a place for them, right? Uh, he, he begins chapter 15 in the most beautiful section of Scripture, in my opinion, that I am the true vine, right? And my Father is the vine dresser. And every branch in me that produces fruit Right? He prunes and this beautiful picture of Christ being the vine. In chapter 16, we get the promise of the Holy Spirit. And, and he's, he's just what he's doing in these chapters, what he's been doing for three and a half years with his disciple is proving himself to be who he says he is. He's healed the sick. He's caused the blind to see the lame to walk. He's raised the dead. He's cast out demons. He spoke to the storm. 
He's fed the multitudes. But something's about to happen. In the verses before this, he says, Behold, in verse 32, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each of you to his own home, and will, have, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. Their faith is about to be tested more than it's ever been tested before. They're about to be left alone. They're about to leave him alone because he's going to go to a cross. He's going to be falsely tried and arrested and sentenced to death, death on a cross. Their faith is about to be tested. What Jesus is doing is assuring them for these chapters that he is indeed who he has always proclaimed to be, who he has proven to be so that their faith won't fail. So that their faith won't fail. Jesus has been telling his disciples that he was the promise Messiah. Right? So what was the promise? What was the promise? The promise we find in Isaiah 9, we find it throughout the whole of Scripture. We find it throughout the whole of the Old Testament, but I chose Isaiah 9. Isaiah 9, Isaiah 9 6 and 7 says, For us, to us a child is born, right? The promise of peace would come from a child who was to be born, right? In other words, he will be like us, born of woman. He will come through a woman. He will be a man just like you. He will be a man just like me. There will be one who will be born a human being. And he will bring peace. Like us, he would be born of woman. Unlike us, a son is given. He is the son of the living God. He is not only 100% man like you and I, but he is 100% God. And we see it in the following of, of the verse to us, a son is given and the government shall uh, be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God. Everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Listen to this. The zeal of the Lord will do this. It's a promise. That is the promise. There, there is no peace in the world. There has not been peace in the world, but one will come who will bring peace between God and man, a person, right? And why is this promise necessary? This is an important question. If then there is a promise of one who would bring peace and restore peace, why is that promise necessary? Because Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. Because Adam, because Eve, in the garden, God gave them a command in Genesis 2.17. Anyone who eats of the fruit will surely die. What did Adam and Eve do? They ate of the fruit. And what was the result of eating the fruit? Death came to all men. Because all were born through them, right? David said, uh, David said in Psalm 51.5, right? He had, he had uh, uh, taken another man's wife for himself and had that man murdered, right? He had this grievous sin against God and in his lament in Psalm 51, he said in verse 5, in sin did my mother conceive me. I was brought forth in iniquity. He recognized that I come from the seed of sinful man and I am in sinner, Right? Romans 3.10, there is an unrighteous, no, not one. 3.23, right? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Because you are born of the flesh, you come into this world a sinner. And you, every one of us, everyone who is born of man is in need of a Savior. Right? There is no tranquility. There is no harmony and you are at war with God and God is at war with you because of sin, because of the sin that came from that one man. The promise is necessary, right? And who is this man? 
Luke chapter 2. Starting in verse 8 says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I lost my place, I'm sorry. Verse 15, when the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. And it had been told them. And at the end of the eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. There was a promise. There was eyewitness testimony that the promise being fulfilled. Right. There was a need for the promise. The need is our sinfulness and our grievance against God. And there was a savior who was born, who came the advent of Jesus Christ and he came as you and I, born of man, born in a manger in the city of David. Right? This man is Jesus Christ. Right? There is the promise of peace. There is the fulfillment of peace. John 16, 33. He says, I've told these things to you that in me you may have peace. That in me, he says, you may have peace. Right? Jesus' first coming brought the fulfillment of the promise of peace. It's fulfilled. Scripture has been fulfilled. Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, he came. As God foretold, the, the one who was to be born of woman, the, the one who was the, the, the child that was to be born, the son that was to be given was born and he was given a ransom. Right. Through Christ, we can have peace with God. He says that in me, you may have peace. It's in Christ and it's in Christ alone. Right. Three things here. Concerning the fulfillment of peace, Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Christ lived righteously by God's standard. Right? Why are, why is, why are we... Uh, why is, why have we offended a holy God? Because we are sinners. We can't help but sin, right? From the time we're born, we, we are prone to sin. We don't have to teach children to be bad. We have to teach them to be good, right? Because their nature is sinful, right? Yet Jesus lived righteously, right? Jesus was tempted after fasting for 40 days at the beginning of his ministry, right? He's, he is tempted by, by Satan. We really don't know about any other temptation, but we know Satan himself came to Jesus to tempt him in three ways. And Jesus was without sin. Even in his weakness, he did not sin. 
he never has sinned. From the time he was born until the time that he died, there was no sin in him, right? He has he acquainted with our sinfulness, right? He is acquainted with our, that I should say, temptations because in every way that we are tempted or have been tempted or ever will be tempted, Jesus was tempted, but he passed the test. And we, we don't often pass the test, do we? Right? Even as believers in Christ, we, we wrestle, we struggle, we're growing, right? But we're, we're, we're getting a little better and better, I hope, right? And we're going to get all the more uh, better and better and more holy and more holy because it's what God is doing in us. That's sanctification, right? But we still fall short. We still fall short. We fall short often. Christ never fell short, Right? And many people today think that, that they can achieve some level of righteousness, that by doing good works and doing good deeds, that they could somehow earn favor with God. They have this mindset that, that if I do enough good and my goods outweigh my bads, then eh, I'll take my chances in the end. We'll see how the scale falls. I can tell you how the scale is going to fall. It only takes one sin to offend and grieve a holy God. And, and, and earn you an eternity in hell. If you have one sin and a billion goods, the one sin is enough. You're guilty, right? If you go before a judge for murder and you have a list of a million good things that you've done, you're still guilty of murder, right? And God does not look past sin. God does not look past sin. It requires, it requires payment. And the payment is death. Right? So, Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement by living righteously. By living righteously, as we could not do, it made Him a sufficient sacrifice. The second thing we see is that Jesus fulfilled the sufficient atonement because his life was acceptable to God. The sacrifice became acceptable to God. Romans 3, 24 and 25 says we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Right in the Old Testament, there are many offerings, uh, many offerings, right? And, and they, they, they all are a sacrifice. It's sacrificial, right? You bring something to the altar. Something has to die. Blood has to be sprinkled. Uh, flesh has to be burned that that smell, that aroma of the burnt flesh may rise to heaven as a sweet fragrance to God because it represents a covering for their sin. Right? A, a, a lamb was to be uh, slain. A, a lamb without spot or, or, or blemish. Right? The sacrifice had to be acceptable. It had to be an acceptable uh, animal. It had to be an, an acceptable grain. It had to be whatever it was. It had to be acceptable according to God's standard, right? And the problem with us trying to gain favor with God through our own merit is that, well, you can't because you're stained. Jesus was not. Jesus lived righteously, right? Therefore, he was spotless. Right. Therefore, as John the Baptist proclaimed, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, the righteous one. Right. And so God, it says, put him forth as a propitiation. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement and Jesus fulfilled the sufficient atonement. He became the propitiation, the appeasement. Right. He was the sufficient sacrifice. Nothing you can do is good enough. But what Christ has done is more than enough, right? Because his life was perfect. He became the perfect appeasement for the sins of all who would believe in him. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirement. Jesus fulfilled the sufficient atonement. And third, Jesus bids we come to him. Jesus bids we come to him. In John 6, 35, he says, are you hungry? I'm the bread of life. Come to me. Come to me. 
John 7, 37, the next chapter, Jesus says, is anyone thirsty? Let him come to me and drink. Come drink from the fountain of living water that you may never thirst again. If that is anybody, if you don't know Christ, if you've never seen the seriousness of your sin and the payment that it required to purchase you out of sin, Jesus says, come to me if you're hungry. Come to me if you're thirsty. I will give you food for your soul and living water. And you will never thirst again because you will drink from the fountain of living water. You can come to Jesus. Jesus bids we come to him, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. What a wonderful reminder. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me. Right? How often do we as Christians easily forget the peace that we have? How often do we forget the peace that we have? It may look like I have sinned and you are afraid to go to God because you're guilty. And you allow the accuser to continue to accuse you and pull you away and you forget the peace that you have with God. Right? And it becomes a laborious thing to to, to try to feel like we have to do something. Right? Come to me, he says. I'll give you rest. Remember the peace that you have with Christ. You have peace with God through the person and work of Jesus Christ by faith. There is nothing you can do that will separate you from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. There is nothing in this world that can separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus. The cost was too high. The payment was too great. No one can snatch you out of the Father's hands. No one can snatch you out of Jesus' hands. Right? Many Many people wrestle with peace today. Many people wrestle with peace today, right? Uh, Many of us, and we might confuse peace, right? But many of us, as we labor, as we are heavy laden, as the verse says, right? In Matthew 11, as we labor, as we're we're just bound down, and it's like there's this pressure. Don't forget the tranquility, the harmony, and the freedom we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. Don't forget the fact that that you have been exempt from the wrath of God that is coming upon all mankind, and you are His. Therefore, us who are burdened, who are heavy laden, us who have labored and, and are weighted down by this world, come to me, Jesus says. I'll give you rest. A little different than peace. I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest. We must remember the peace that we have in Jesus, right? The peace that we have before a holy God who no longer counts our sins against us. We are free in Christ. We have peace with God. We have peace with God. And we didn't have to do anything to earn it, but believe, which was a gift he graced us with. And lastly, we see the completion of peace. He says in John 16, 33, in the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Anybody relate to that in the world? There's tribulation. Right. Our peace has been fulfilled. And I don't want you to get the idea that, that to think that it's not complete. Because the work of Christ is a complete work. But to us, (laughs) we await another coming of Christ. Therefore, to us, there's the completeness that is coming, right? The fulfillment of peace has come, which has provided for us peace with God, which there is no more important thing in the world than peace with God. But there is a coming peace. There is a coming peace. There is a completeness of peace. He says, in the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus' second coming will bring the completion of peace. 
Though uh, through Christ there will be not only peace with God, but peace with all. Right? Uh, first, there will be peace from the presence of sin. Right? This is a this is kind of a this is kind of a, a difficult topic, right? There are people with different end times views, different eschatologies. Pastor James and I uh, are in agreement. Uh, we, we, we teach a premillennial view of eschatology, right? And so that, that is my conviction. And so and, I'm, and my goal here is to assume that you are believers, hoping that you are all believers, and to proclaim to you uh, the completion of this peace that is to come as a member of the bride of Jesus Christ. And the first thing that is to come as a member of the bride of Jesus Christ is that there will be peace from the presence of sin, right? Your greatest enemy is your own flesh, right? There, there, is, there, is, uh, there are many that say that, that we are spirit, soul, and body as though they are three distinct things. And they are three distinct things, but the spirit and soul are inseparable, I mean, even Hebrews 11 refers to this, that the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two edged sword, and it divides even between the spirit and soul, which are inseparable, right? Just as bone and marrow, right? They're inseparable. They are in unison. They are distinct, but they're in unison. The spirit and the soul, I, like, like, so I have my, uh, everything that is really important to me as far as files on a computer, uh, they're, they're on my computer, they're backed up in Dropbox, and I have a, a thumb drive that I keep just in case I learn from James because he lost everything. So I thought I'm going to have like five backups for everything because I saw what happened to Pastor James a while back. So, you know, like those important things are on that hard drive, right? That hard drive can do nothing. It needs something to process it, right? The, the, the heart of man, the, the spirit of man, so to speak, right? That, that central system, when we talk about the heart, of man it is that deep-seated place that but it has to be processed right in a sense so to speak when i plug that zip drive in i can access it right isn't it funny how you can you you can have heard a scripture or read a scripture or a teaching many years ago that you haven't even considered and at the right time it's like boom there it is right it's back there and the Lord uses that at the right time, right? So in the same way, it's like there's this deep-seated place, right, that is connected to the soul, the mind, the will, the emotions, the, the, the processing unit, right? They're inseparable. But the flesh is different, right? Our soul, our spirit, we have been made new in Christ Jesus, right? He has purchased us, right? We are seated with Him in heavenly places, our spirit man, right? We, we, are, we, are, we belong to Christ, have been redeemed, but our flesh has not. Our flesh is weak. So we are redeemed people, bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ, right? And we await we await the redemption of our body. We await the redemption of our flesh. Right? Isn't it funny how though we are redeemed and we desire good and we desire to be like Christ and we want to become more like Christ, we want to grow, we want to be fruitful in all things and we want to love people in the way that God loves them, but we just can't. We try. Why do we fail? Because our flesh is weak. Right? Because our flesh is weak. Our flesh is not redeemed and the first promise or, or, or the, the, when the completion of peace comes our flesh will be redeemed first corinthians 15 51 and 52 says behold i tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep right we shall not all die we shall not all go to the grave obviously if christ is coming back there's going to be some people alive right there's going to be some people alive at that appointed time when he comes for his bride and so not everybody's going to sleep. Not everybody's going to die. There has to be some people alive at that time. And those people will be changed, converted, bodies redeemed in an instant, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, it says, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we shall be changed. So as the church, as the bride of Christ, as those who are redeemed in Christ in this age, 
The first completion of peace that we await is the redemption of our bodies. That's what we're waiting for. We're waiting for Jesus to split the sky, call us home, and enjoy Christ forever with one another. You talk about wonderful fellowship and love for one another. The fellowship that we have on that day will be so real and genuine. I get excited. Right? That's what we await. Followed by a period of time that's not real clear to me. (laughs) Um, And what we will be doing. But Jesus does give us some hints in Matthew chapter 25 of what will happen. Uh, there, there, uh, of, of we, we get uh, the picture of wedding and wedding feast many times throughout the scriptures, right? Um, and in the wedding feast, there was three phases in a Jewish wedding feast. Uh, phase one was the mutual commitment. There was a mutual commitment between uh, a husband-to-be and a bride-to-be, right? And the father would choose a bride for his son... It's interesting that Jesus says, all that the Father whom gives to me will come to me, and those who come to me I will never cast out. It is the Father who chooses a bride for his son in the mutual commitment. And they're in this mutual commitment when the Father has chosen for his son a bride, and the Father and the the son and the bride have, have. had mutual agreements about this marriage and how this would be arranged, then there would be a ceremonial washing. The groom-to-be would be washed in water ceremonially to be purified, to be cleansed, and so would the bride in this first stage of marriage. And it's interesting that Jesus had to be baptized also, right? The bridegroom who was baptized And the Spirit descended on him. Why is baptism important for you as a believer? It is a ceremonial washing, so to speak, of your cleansing, being prepared for the bridegroom who's coming. Second, there was a betrothal. This is the second period. There's ceremonial arrangement or ceremonial uh, uh, commitments. And second, it would move into a betrothal, right? Where... uh, the groom would give a bride a, va- a gift of value, right? We see this in glimpses of marriage today. What does the, what does the groom do? He gives a ring to the bride, a, a gift, right? Uh, and in and, and this time, the groom would give a gift of value to the bride. It's interesting that Jesus says, if I go away, I will send you the Holy Spirit. The greatest gift of all in this age. He gives them a gift of great value and they share a cup of wine to seal this betrothal commitment. I say to you, I will not drink of this cup again till I'm with you in the kingdom. And then the groom goes away to prepare a home for his bride. John 14. I tell you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will receive you to myself. And then we don't know when the bridegroom's coming. And neither does the bridegroom because he's waiting on the father's approval. When the house that you have prepared for your bride is acceptable, the father will send the groom to retrieve his bride. And the custom is he would come, he would get his bride, and he would carry her back home. And there would be a procession with him, followed by the marriage. The groom retrieves his bride, carries her home, seals the vows, consummates the marriage and celebrates with a feast that we see in Revelation 19 called the Marriage Supper of the Lamb. It's what I'm waiting for. The completion of peace. The completion of peace. We are betrothed as the bride of Christ to the bridegroom who is preparing a place for us who will soon come to retrieve us to himself. Therefore, we must keep our wicks burning and oil in our lamps. 
preparing ourselves as a bride prepares for her groom because he's coming soon for his bride. He's coming soon for his bride and he's going to take us where he is. And their wedding, the, the, the wedding will finally be consummated. There will be a feast, right? And so the second thing concerning the completion of this peace is there will be peace on the earth as we rule and reign with him. Revelation 19, after the marriage supper of the Lamb, Jesus Christ comes back to the earth. Zechariah 14 says that he sets his feet on the Mount of Olives and his armies are with him. Revelation 19 reveals that those clothed in white linen are riding on white horses with him. Coming back to the earth. And we will reign on the earth with him on a physical earth. We, the church of Jesus Christ, who have been united to him, the, the, the marriage sealed, the wedding, the, the, the marriage consummated. The, the wedding feast over and we come back to the earth with him and we rule and reign with him for a thousand years. Revelation 2, 26 says, The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Right? There will be no nations in an eternal state, so to speak. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem. Uh, there will be nations in a, in a period of time uh, between, bet between the, 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 the uh, tribulation that is to come and the end of time. It says, The one who conquers, I will give him authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And when, like said, when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father in heaven, we know from Psalm right, that Jesus will rule with a rod of iron. Here he says that if you overcome, I will grant you the right to rule with a rod of iron. We will rule with him. We will reign with him in an earthly kingdom. Revelation 3.21 says, The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down on my father's throne. We will be granted the right to sit on his throne with him. And third, there will be an eternal peace and bliss in a new heaven and new earth. You can go read Revelation chapter 21 and 22 for yourself. It's beautiful. I can't even imagine how to express it to you and the bliss involved with it because it's beyond what I can even imagine. I've tried. It's beautiful. There's a new heaven. There is a new earth that is created for those who will be eternally with him. After this great white throne judgment, Satan has been cast into the pit. All who are unredeemed cast away and all the redeemed of Christ will enter into an eternal state with a new heavens and a new earth and a new Jerusalem that is seen coming down from heaven. This tree with seven kinds of fruit and its leaves are for the healing of the nations and he will wipe every tear from every eye and there's a stream flowing through the city. I, I can't grab a hold of it. it it's, I don't know that anybody can. Heavenly bliss. Heavenly bliss. It will be complete. Right? There was a promise of peace. God is faithful. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He gave a promise. He fulfilled his promise when Christ came the first time. He fulfilled his promise. He became the righteous. He, he, he fulfilled the righteous requirement. He, he feel, fulfilled the substitutionary death it took to redeem us, right? He granted us his righteousness. He placed our sin on his cross. He fulfilled the, the, the peace that, that we needed with God. We could not, we did not have peace with God, but through Jesus Christ, he became that propitiation so that God could be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in him so that by faith, we have peace with God and we await the completion of that peace even now when we will have bodies that are redeemed and the presence of sin will be no more, when we will reign and rule with Him and when we will enter into a heavenly bliss beyond what any of us can fathom or even try to draw from the text. I'll leave you with these words. This encouragement, this benediction from Hebrews 13, 20 and 21, he says, Now may the God of peace 
who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the peace that you give. I thank you, Father, that you have provided a way that sacrifices do not need to be made over and over and over and over again, but you have given us the once-for-all sacrifice, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the righteous one, who brought peace between us and you, O oh God. Thank you. I pray that we seriously consider that today. Examine our own hearts to see if we be in the faith. And those who are discouraged today, those who feel defeated today, those who, who feel like they are not at peace, may they know today the peace that they have with you and that there is no other peace in this world that matters. Because it's all fading and fleeting it's all temporal and all that matters is that we have peace with you, O oh God, through the cross of Christ. Pray that as we go through our days, as we feel times that we are not at peace, that we would remember what awaits us. Remember that this flesh won't be forever. That the sin that, 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 that continues to hold us back and hold us down as we are overcoming that, but soon, someday, oh God, we will be transformed and this body of flesh will no longer hold us back. But when we see you, we will be like you. Thank you for the peace you give. I thank you that you came. I thank you for your faithfulness for your steadfast love. Because from the sin of Adam until today, your love has been steadfast. Your kingdom has been expressed in so many ways. From the garden, to the times of ignorance, to your law as it was revealed, to the days of judges, the days of kings to a people scattered. To you, expressing your love by moving even out to the Gentiles, us dirty sinners, Lord. As you fulfilled your promise to send the true and better Adam, to send Christ. You've kept us. Your word you have preserved from the beginning. In the beginning, God said. And we still have that word because you preserve it. You keep it. You're faithful. You are God who gives peace through the cross of Christ Jesus. And we thank you. It's in Jesus name. Amen.